Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here, and my pronouns are they, them. And today I'm interviewing Bree Sheldon, a game designer that makes all kinds of wonderful small boutique games, as well as a few other interesting things. Uh, thank you for being with us, Bree. Uh, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are they, them, or he, him. Excellent. Uh, and what might people know you from, uh, projects and the like, uh, around the internet and such? Um, I've worked on a, a variety of things. One of the biggest things people know me for is as an interviewer. I interview a lot of people um, on Thoughty. It's precs.com. But I've also worked on design projects, quite a few at this point, <laughs> including the Firefly Smuggler's Guide to the Rim, Bubblegum Shoe, my own collection, uh, Let Me Take a Selfie, and Of the Woods, Lonely Games of Imagination, which is a collection. Um, and I'm known a bit for my work with uh, marginalized groups in the community, like non-binary people, like my work that I'm doing right now for Behind the Mask Zine on Kickstarter. Um, also, I did script change, which is a safety tool that's been pretty well known for a while now. Cool. Um, be interesting to talk about uh, that about script change a little bit later on, seeing as we're currently looking at developing safety tools for our listeners. Uh, so mm. that could be an interesting thing to have a discussion about. Um, yeah. We normally like to start things by asking how our, uh, how our subject, I suppose, uh, got into uh, role-playing games and gaming in general. So... Would you, yeah. would you like to share with us how you came to gaming? Sure. So I actually started text-based online role-playing back in the late 90s uh, doing Harry Potter and Redwall role-playing, uh, just text without a lot of mechanics or anything like that. Um, and I did that for quite a few years before I met my now husband, uh, at the time boyfriend, who introduced me to um basically like D&D and Shadowrun and um, like it was D&D 3.5 and Shadowrun 3rd Edition and a couple of other games like that that were pretty traditional. Um, and I fell in love with them pretty quick and uh, just kept playing those um, up until I got into indie games in the um, like 2010s. Just so. as I was finishing high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Yes. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, and and what were some of the the indie games that took your eye when you were when you were first transitioning from more uh, more traditional uh, role playing games? So the first game I played that was like an indie game was actually Fiasco, mm. um, and I I still love Fiasco. I'm really excited they're doing their second edition c coming up soon, um, and I'm a, a real big fan of Jason Morningstar himself as a person and as a designer. Uh, and I started playing it kind of as a rejection of how intensely I was into playing like Pathfinder and D&D &D at the time, wanting something simpler. And um, I ended up going from that into games like Monster Hearts. And um, I played some Fate games. And uh, I, I think I just kind of really wanted to try a little bit of everything. I, 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 I found out, you know, there are these games that you can play a lot more quickly and easily that still tell really good stories. And once I found that out, I was just like, well, I just want to play that one and that one and <laughs> just never stop. Yeah, I definitely, once my eyes began to open to all the different 
role-playing games that were out there, I started to get into this situation of, why would anyone ever play just one role-playing game? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many different role-playing games to experience. There are. There's so, so many, and it's so amazing. It's so good. Yeah, that's, yeah, indeed. Um, how did you transition from uh, from playing games to making games? Because you've made a few now. Well, first, I'm, I'm just kind of not really a sit there and not join in kind of person for creative projects. I like to be doing stuff a lot of the time. Um, and it actually started kind of alongside whenever I got into uh, officially doing indie games and into game journalism, um, I got really mad because I was helping a friend design a game and he wanted to put some stuff in it that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had already started to kind of like tinker a little bit on some ideas that I had that I might want to make into something. And uh, I figured if he wasn't going to design the thing correctly to my perspective, um, I was going to make things. And just kind of kicked off the desire to be involved and to make things and into trying to find positions doing various design work. Um, And so I started doing freelance work and um, putting aside some text for some of the games that I want to work on. Like I started Turn, which is my current um, work in progress in 2013, I think. Um, So it's been in in progress like five, five years now. And, um, it was also a result of, well, I like this thing that I'm playing a little bit, but it's not doing it exactly the way I want it. So now I have to make a better version for me. And um, a lot of my design work starts in wanting to be breaking something down and making it better. Um, so that's kind of how I got where I am. Yeah, that's an interesting um, narrative. It's it's always fun asking this question because we always get a, a different answer. Um, did you have design a design background before you started that pursuit um no i i haven't i haven't done any other game design work outside of basically the work i started doing from around like 2012 2013 and Mm -hmm. moving forward to now um i have been a writer um off and on for most of my life um but never actually did design work uh officially cool and and you mentioned that you started doing games journalism stuff. What was your writing background before that? Before that, I mostly did fiction stuff. Oh, cool. um, I did a fair bit of fan fiction, most of which has been thankfully scrubbed from the internet. Um, (laughs) Not all of it. You can still find me out there. Uh, But um, I also did academic writing for school. um, And uh, I wrote for, uh, wrote documents for my day jobs and some poetry that is often the obscure reaches of the internet as well, I think. I mean, that sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> um, cool. Awesome. Uh, so how I think, hmm, I think we'll begin get diving a bit deeper into this, but uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, some of your design goals um, uh, for the various... Uh, games you've made. Um, the, uh, in particular, I'm interested in, like you mentioned, that you started working on that project, whatever it was, um, mm-hmm. in order to, because you felt that 
almost like it was a response to you weren't quite sure about the way you, know, you didn't like the way that someone else had, was making this game. Um, is is that is that often uh, a motivator for you that you feel like you can do something, you you can bring this unique thing to this to this game conversation? Um, like, what are, what are some of the things that push you to make games? Um, a lot of the stuff that pushes me to make games is wanting to see what I want to see at a table um, or saying like the, the big thing with turn is um, I played monster hearts. Monster hearts is a great game and it has a lot of really awesome stuff in it, but it wasn't hitting this specific like nerve that I needed it to, um, to tell the kind of story that I wanted to play and experience. Um, and that, like I really loved Monster Hearts, but not enough, and that's where it started. And I I have this habit, um, my style of design, I call it destructive design, actually, um, where I break down a design into kind of bits and pieces, um, both the fictional design and the mechanical design, and see what of it is not working for me. What is working for me? If I should, you know, just hack a thing? Should I, you know, bring it back together and um, that that does tend to happen to me a fair bit because I I find a lot of value in people's stuff. I try really hard to find something good in the work that everyone does, regardless of whether I actually enjoy playing it or not. Um, but once I you know realize that there's something missing or something that's not right to me, I have to try and fix it. <laughs> um, and it's kind of based on a philosophy my dad taught me whenever I was young, where he would take engines completely apart and put them back together before he could fix them because that was the way he knew what all the mix- missing parts were, what was broken, what was damaged. And that's kind of how I approach design in general. I take it apart and I put it back together or I just make something new out of the parts and add new things in or take stuff out. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Just tear the whole thing down to its base components and see if you can get it back together. It's pretty pretty wild <laughs> way to fix an engine and pretty wild way to build a game too. <laughs> I'm very into it. Uh, so I guess um, pretty obvious, well, not pretty obvious, but pretty natural uh, flow from that is what were some of the things you changed about or, or changed in response to Monster Hearts? So for turn the one of the biggest things about it is that it's set in small towns and um it is lower drama. I call it a quiet drama. Um and so part of the way that I addressed that was looking at the angling of the narrative. Um there are no sex moves. Um I changed the way the base die worked. At this point it's completely not recognizable as a Monster Hearts copy. I don't I don't think um, because it, uh, turn now has, um, 3d6 that you use, one of which is optional off and on for certain roles, um, as opposed to the 2d6 in Monster Hearts, because I didn't like the success rate that you got in Monster Hearts. It was too dramatic. It was too, you know, you're going to fail all the time kind of feeling to me. And I, I didn't want that. Um, and, uh, to have it feel more about small towns, I changed, um, some of the language used in the game, some of it was in the storyteller, the way that they act instead of being an MC or a GM, like in uh, in Monster Hearts, it's instead a storyteller who has these guidelines that aren't aimed at targeting the players as much. Um, 
and are instead about supporting the players and giving them troubles to deal with rather than um, giving them high drama and um, necessarily emotional strain. Uh, so those those were some of the smaller parts that actually impact the game the most. Yeah, that's really interesting. It actually kind of sounds like... It almost kind of sounds like uh, you've made a, a slightly more slice-of-life yeah. version, which is very that is cool. That is actually the goal, is for it to be slice-of-life. Um, the, the stuff that you encounter in turn is not supposed to be monsters or villains. Um, the combat rules are really, really simple, and you're discouraged from using it at all. Um, and the biggest rule, I guess, that I should point out is you'd never fail um, in the game. Okay. You always succeed at what you aim to do, but there are always consequences, and some of them are pretty serious. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and so what is the... We've been comparing it a bit to Monster Hearts at the moment. What is the actual, um, I guess, thematic conceit of of turn? Is it a supernatural setting or what What exactly is it? Um, turn is, so I describe it as a slice of life supernatural game um, set in small towns where you play shifters, uh, shapeshifters who um, are trying to find balance between their shifter halves, um, the two sides of their identities and um, to find community in a place where they may not be accepted. Wow. That's really cool to be honest. It's very interesting to me, too, because I'm currently working on a transhuman slice of life game about keeping a community together and holding a dream together in the face of um, things that might want to tear your dream apart. Um, wow. just, That's like, awesome. just like community stress and things like that. And, and I was looking at using uh, the Warren as a base because I'm like, I don't really want to make playbooks. <laughs> That is just, a good base. That is a good base. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. And, and it's interesting that it seems like we've both sort of made these games in response to there being another game that we liked that wasn't doing the things we wanted. Like, for me, I really want... I really enjoy playing Eclipse Phase, and I enjoy a lot about that setting, but I'm just very tired of trans games with transhumanist themes that are... Transhumanism is just kind of a a a, se- a scene dressing. Um, yeah, it's just an aspect of it. It's not like a, a focus, or it's not like and and you don't have free reign to explore that transhumanism just by virtue of Eclipse Phase is a game about uh, conspiracy and horror, and so you kind of need to make choices about your transhumanism that will help you be a co-conspirator. <laughs> And, right. fight, and fight horror. Um, there's no op- there's no opportunity to exist as a a forest on Mars because <laughs> you, you can't you can't fight monsters easily as a forest on Mars. You can't even information war. <laughs> yeah, it's the the limitations. I think the limitations on the games that we play whenever we play games hmm. um, are not necessarily bad. They're just different. You know, so like I, I, I play other games and I think, you know, I'm having a really good time with this. But, you know, if it was this way, it would be I would be happier. Right. Yeah. I would enjoy it more. And there's nothing quite like turn 
that I've experienced in play or in designing or anything and trying to like look at, you know, I've, I've had a lot of questions about whether it's a powered by the apocalypse game because it has some of the same things that are in powered by apocalypse, but they're almost all altered just a little bit. And the philosophy behind the game and the, the general way you play the game is very different from any way I've ever played a PBTA game. Yeah. So that's been really like, I look at these games and I'm like, I see what you're doing with it and I'm glad you're doing it and I have fun playing it, but I need to make my thing and make it work the way that I want it to. And turn has come out beautifully, honestly, like we've played almost into a year of a campaign at this point, And, um, I never experienced the same things in other games. Like it's just different to me and other people might not agree with me whenever they play it, but so far everyone's enjoyed it and found that it's just a little bit, a little bit of something else. And that's kind of what I was looking for. So, Yeah, that sounds, it's kind of beautiful hearing you talking about it, to be honest. I'm kind of into it. Um, so, hmm, um, I guess my next question is, um, we didn't even. I didn't even really intend to specifically talk about turn, but here we are talking about turn. Um, what kind of, um, how far into development would you say turn is, and and is there any kind of window in the future where people can be looking for a release, or is it still too early to say when it might be ready? <laughs> so turn is actually in a, a draft phase. Um, it's in a beta playtest version. You can find it online through my website. Um, and, uh, I am in the process of getting a consultant. I have a consultant writing an essay for, um, race in small towns because I can't talk on that subject. I'm super white and I refuse to publish it without some sort of essay talking about how relevant that is to playing this game. Um, and, um, I also am kind of doing the play testing and, and, kind of revisioning and everything. I've made so few changes since I actually wrote it down because I actually started designing game in like 2013 and then I didn't write it down until 2016. Um, wow. That's... I hadn't written down anything. And yeah. then I wrote down almost the entire base game in a God, like a couple of weeks. So I've, <laughs> I've had, I've, I've done edits and I've upgrade updated things and cleaned things up. But, um, my goal is to have it to crowdfunding by October of this year. Um, and um, I'm hoping that will actually go. That's part of the reason why I'm doing the behind the mask Kickstarter right now is because I needed practice running a Kickstarter. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's an excellent segue because let's talk about, let's talk about what that is. So that's a, that's a behind the mask is like a, a, a zine. Yes. Um, so behind the mask is a zine and it is a basically a collection of games and like game materials. So like playbooks and stuff and some art by um, non-cisgender masculine creators. So um, trans men, gender fluid people um, who are masculine, non-binary masculine people like me um, and just kind of a whole, a whole bunch of us together working on some things where we can re-envision masculinity through historical archetypes and mythological archetypes. And, um, gonna make those into game things um and some art yeah wow that sounds very cool um and you're right in the middle of that kickstarter right now as of recording this and probably as of posting because we're only a week different (laughs) Um, 
on that front. Um, how's that going so far? We actually just hit the 50% mark, which is like super exciting to me. Um, we don't have a huge goal because it's just a small project. Um, but hitting the 50% was like just massive for me. Um, and uh, I've, I'll be bringing off, um, I have a new contributor coming on hopefully later in the next week or so that I'll be announcing. Um, I just announced my contribution for the project, um, which is because I'm, I'm mostly curating um, and kind of hurting all of the people involved. Um, but I'm doing a um, voice and text, so like audio text game. Uh, it's called Echoes. And um, the game is going to be uh, replicating kind of the hero's journey, only fiddled a bit to make it make a little more sense for the uh, masculinity that I envision. And um, you, your, your joy has been stolen by fairies. And you have to travel through the caverns under the hills to retrieve it. Um, and to do that, you must do vocal exercises to mimic the locks that the fairies have um, and what? dispel illusions. So you're going to hear the voice, uh, the voice exercises and patterns and um, mimic them back uh, to it's it's basically uh, I I've had trouble with the tone of my voice for a really long time. Um because I used to have a deeper voice and at the job I was at while I was uh, presenting female most of the time, I had to make my voice higher because they said it was a problem that my voice was so deep. Hmm. Um, and uh, Rude. Yeah. yeah. Um, and since I came out, I've been trying to fix it. And it's uh, been a really painful process. And it keeps me from doing things like, you know, laughing or um, being really excited because my voice goes higher. And so um, that's why... Um, I'm writing echoes is to kind of explore that um, and have people see kind of what it means to own your joy and, and how hard it is when it's taken away. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. I have a friend that is a speech pathologist um, or trained as a speech pathologist at the very least. Uh, and uh, also very into role playing. So I'm, I'm keen to show them um, that when it comes out, um, when does the Kickstarter for behind the mask close? Um, I think it ends in 20 days. Um, so like just after this, uh, the start of the next month, I actually, I can have it right in front of me so I can tell you that. That's that would um, help. <laughs> so 20 days. So probably around like the, the 5th. 5th of August. Yeah. The 5th. Excellent. So this recording will definitely be out before then. So if you're listening to this before the 5th of August, please go uh, check out uh, Behind the Mask because that sounds like a really great collection. Um, I'm very interested to see the yeah, work we're that comes gonna, out of that. We're going to have a Minotaur Monster Hearts playbook, a Demigod playbook. Oh, Demigods! Um, I'm always in there, Demigods. And I think we have a Trickster for the Apocalypse World playbook that we're working on. So... Um, and the pe- the people who are working on this project are really excellent um, creative people. So definitely, definitely appreciate anyone taking a look at what they're doing. When when I was uh, younger, um, the second role playing game I learned to play was the was New World of Darkness. Um, oh, okay. And there was a time where before I knew that Scion existed, and before I think Mirrors had come out, uh, where I was thinking of making a what we called a minor template at the time. Uh, for uh, for almost reincarnations or descendants of uh, Greek heroes or oh, wow. or really any hero, and then like that's a whole game line that 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 company yeah. already had out. 
<laughs> That's pretty amazing. But it's just, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm making a demigods game at the moment as well, which is kind awesome. of like, what if Greek gods, what if Greek demigods were social justice warriors, literally? Oh, gosh. Um, and also, what if Greek myth was told in a visual storytelling style similar to Wushu films? Oh, wow. It's called Weapons nice. of Design. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Anyway, uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about your uh, your game journalism background, mm-hmm. uh, which you brought up earlier, uh, and also about, um, I think it'd be interesting to talk about your design stuff. So I guess we'll transition into talking a bit about the design stuff now, because you said that you'd worked on other projects, and I think that that'll flow a bit nicely from what we were just talking about, and then we'll transition into games journalism. Does that sound good? Sounds excellent. Excellent. So, um, what kind of design work have you done for projects outside of your own? I, th- I, feel, like, I feel like Behind the Mask kind of um, feels like a culmination of what you may have learned from those other projects. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, to hear what other things you've worked on uh, in a design capacity. So aside from my own work, um, I've worked on a couple of larger uh, projects like the Firefly Smuggler's Guide to the Rim was one of the biggest ones, um, at least like company size wise and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I did uh, the archetypes in that book. Um, I wrote those um, and I also was on the core design team for the reputation mechanic, um, which is uh, basically you have four factions and, you know, that you use them to determine how people feel about you to succeed at tests and things like that. And that was for Cortex. um, And that's actually part of the reason why I uh, am doing work on Cortex Prime for their solar punk spotlight, um, working with Cam Banks. No, they were making a solar punk thing. Yep, that's me. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I've actually turned in my draft. So um, basically at this point, it's just edits and, and red lines and stuff. Yeah. Well. Um, but it's a it's, Cortex is it's so funny because I like admittedly barely ever play the game because I just don't play as much as I want, basically. Mm. Um, but I enjoy designing in the space. Uh, and uh, whenever... I first learned what solar punk was. My initial thought was, man, I really wish that I could design this for Cortex, right? And then <laughs> and then I found out that Cam was doing Cortex Prime and I was like, Cam, I will sell you my soul <laughs> to work on this game <laughs> because this is what it was meant to be made for. Um, so there's communes that you design oh. um, and uh, your characters are primarily pacifists. Ooh, and okay. So yeah, it's... I have a lot of squishy feelings about solar punk and I can't wait for the spotlights to get to the final, uh, final release. Yeah, uh, stage. definitely, definitely need more, uh, more touchstone media for solar punk in, in the world. It definitely feels, yes. it definitely feels more like, um, more like a idea and a, and I guess almost like an art movement more than a media movement, if that makes sense. Like I've seen lots of drawings of like solar punk, solar punk paladins and solar punk buildings and stuff, but it's, <laughs> but less so like, what is a solar punk book? I know there are solar punk books, but you can find more of them in Brazilian media and a lot more with uh, stuff done by people of color, 
uh, black okay. people and people of color. Yeah, I think I saw like a thing a few weeks ago about it. Sadly, I can't remember the shout out for it. Yeah. Um, maybe we maybe we should compose a list of solar punk things and put it in the <laughs> put it in the description notes for this episode. Um, it's it's a really like I love solar punk so much as a concept. Um, it's I like cyberpunk a lot and I play in it and like Shadowrun Third Edition is my favorite game. Literally playing that game, I played it the other day. Um, so I love cyberpunk a lot. Um, but solar punk to me is like, well, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> and um, the solar punk that I designed for Cortex Prime is really the onset of solar punk, where you have these communes that are off the grid, but you're still trying to fight back the residual like people who want to to bring capitalism and yeah. bring back like all these toxic structures of power. And I, yeah, I don't know. I have feeling. I definitely need to look at that uh, when it comes out for my <laughs> own transhumanism community game because I definitely feel like um, this isn't really a thing that I've ever talked about on our show, but uh, I think that um, particularly over the over the last few months has become a particular importance to me is the idea that you can have pretty fantastic and wonderful community structures if you can com- keep your community size under 300 people and have no opportunity for anonymity. <laughs> um, because without anonymity, uh, it's harder to be an asshole, uh, which is like an interesting anthropological idea and is like why is how enforced sharing, mandatory sharing cultures work. Uh, yeah. it's because you can't you can't get away with being selfish uh, and greedy if everyone knows who you are. <laughs> Um, and things like that. Uh, and, and like solar punk, the stuff that I've seen from it is very much for me, like, this is like, this is like, I mean, that's what I want transhumanist societies to look like. Right. I want it. I want them to be small bands of people brought together and trying to make the world a better place for themselves, but also making the world a better place for the world just by almost like a side effect. Right. Yeah. And also, I, I really like Earthships, uh, yes. <laughs> which are very, very cool houses. Yeah, and the, so those are those are two of the bigger ones that I've worked on. Um, yeah, and what were some of the other projects you've done? I worked a little bit on Bubblegum Shoe. Uh, yeah, I mentioned that earlier in the interview. I'm, you've been, I'm looking at Bubblegum Shoe now for a uh, pot for act- our actual play. Yeah, I I really love the game. I think it's really cool. I was working on it during a really tumultuous time of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to write uh, most of what I was supposed to write. And then my health kind of kicked me out of the game a bit. Um, but they uh, they still used my material and, and everything. Uh, and I was really, really happy that everyone still liked it because I I was in a, in a pretty rough state. So I, yeah. I have to say that Bubblegum Chew is one of those games that like I kind of wish I had done more for. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, it did as well as it did. Like, I mean, it got a gold Annie award and all this stuff. So I've worked on, um, so I worked on that. Uh, I've done, um, I did work for the sound of water, which was a world of do supplement. Um, I've heard of either of those things, but it sounds lovely. Yeah. They're, um, kind of, uh, Japanese, um, Ah. Japanese fiction kind of game. Uh, and I also did work on Demon Interface, um, which was with Onyx Path ah. back 
couple of years ago. Um, yeah, I did a, a mechanic. I actually did a suicide bomber mechanic for them. Oh. Um, which, yeah, that sounds just about as messed up as it was. That sounds um, pretty onyx path to me. Right. Um, my, I wrote a story and did a mechanic and the, the mechanic was basically like ways to do damage or cause like mini plagues and stuff like that. Um, based on like, like killing your own character off, um, kind of thing, like killing off your cover. Um, cause in demon you have a cover and then you can get a new one. Oh, um, which I'm guessing is like the human you possess or something. Yeah, basically. Um, and so like I, I wrote that and, um, it was, it's a very weird, uh, story and mechanic, but, um, Th- those were like the biggest ones, I guess, that I've worked on. Um, I've done some other stuff for like masks. Uh, I did some writing for one of their supplements. Um, and uh, then um, Of the Woods technically is my writing, but it's part of a group of people that yeah. um, I curated, which is all single player narrative games. I'm currently playing um, with myself. I'm currently playing Body Hack. So. Oh, cool. I am on a little bit of a single-person story game kick at the moment. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting little work there. Very, like, super into it. <laughs> um, you've got a very... Um, I would say that you've got one of the broadest um, portfolios in terms of, like, like you've worked on Onyx Path stuff and also on games I've never even heard of. <laughs> um, which is good. I'm very into it. Uh, yeah, one of the most diverse portfolios of anyone we've interviewed so far. Like, we've had some very interesting designers and stuff on, and they've done really cool stuff, but, like, they've all been kind of... It's like, yeah, I've made, like, 40 indie games for myself, and that's what I've done. Or, like, I've I've made this one cyberpunk game. That's what I did. Uh, and stuff <laughs> like that. So it's interesting, this, 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 uh, this diversity uh, of experience in the game design world. Um, coming from that, uh, what, uh, when did you start getting into like games journalism and was that after you became a game designer or before or, um, so games journalism was first. Okay. Um, and it was how I managed to get into doing design actually. Um, I started writing for gaming as women as a result of a big argument with somebody about their game they were making. Um, (laughs) So I have this thing, a real big hang-up on the subject of half-orcs. Sure. Would you like to go into that? (laughs) Briefly. If you you want to. So this is a thing that we we encourage here. We We encourage giving designers the opportunity to ramble about things they are passionate about. So if you would like to talk about that, we're more than happy to facilitate. It is completely up to you, however, how much you sure. want to go into it. I can keep it pretty brief, but it, it is you. something that I care a lot about. Um, and it sounds silly, but um, I have a problem with the backgrounds that are given for half-orcs in most fantasy games. Um, because I disagree entirely with making any species, race, ancestry, whatever, fully like evil or all one type of thing sort of background. I think that that's absolutely terrible and um, harmful and toxic. And I also don't like half-orc backgrounds that are based on the they can only come from rape 
um, thing, Ugh. which is like a thing. That's like a, a thing that happens in games that people design where they say I'm that's not, the only way they could exist. I'm not surprised that that's a thing. I just desperately <laughs> wish I was. Right? You know? Just yeah. desperately wish that I was more shocked. Right. And it sucks. I, and I hate it a lot. Um, and I had a huge disagreement with somebody about that. And um, it led to a kind of toxic relationship in the game group. And uh, I wrote a, I wrote a blog post that went through to um, Gaming as Women. that was basically like, hey, uh, you can leave a game group. You can quit a game. You can just do that. And you should if you're not happy. Mm. Um, and so I did those things. And <laughs> ended up uh, writing for Gaming as Women and then starting my own site, um, Thoughty, and doing interviews. And I actually ended up interviewing F. Wesley Schneider about the half-orc backgrounds in Pathfinder. Oh. Um, and um, that was basically, like, how it started. Like, I got really mad, so I wrote in and submitted a blog post to get accepted to Gaming as Women, and then immediately thereafter went and <laughs> tried to interview F. Wesley Schneider and managed to do it. And so I do a ton of interviews. I do game theory stuff. Um, I, you know, try and write a little bit about things going on in the industry. Like in December, I did a extensive series on harassment in indie games. And wow. I should um, read that. It's hard. <laughs> It, it was a it was a really really hard experience. Um, yeah, I, I was working imagine. on it while I was in grad school, and um, that was literally right before I ended up getting a head injury, or right after, somewhere in that window. I have a little bit of fuzziness around when the head injury happened. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, I you know I was working on that recently, and it's been in tandem with my design this whole time and it informs my design. Like what I learn from, you know, the industry that I observe and that I participate in, you know, does inform whether I use certain, you know, games to influence my work and everything. Um, a lot of people talk about influences and being an interviewer has taught me more than anything that I want to try as hard as I can to not actually be influenced or try to aspire to anyone as a designer, because mm. there there's a need for diversity in design and there also is always regret <laughs> for like going for something that somebody else was familiar with. Like, I don't want to be known for doing something just like somebody else. That mm. sounds kind of pointless. And that's why whenever, you know, I say I do destructive design, whenever I build the game back up, it's not like the other game anymore and it's not supposed to be. So that's, they've been, my my de my design and my journalism have been pretty pretty tight together and inform each other um, at least a little bit. So yeah, wow, that sounds that's very interesting. Um, could be as you were talking, we don't often talk about designers' influences um, uh, when we interview them. I, I've never I don't I don't think I've ever asked someone that's good who their design influences are. I'm not sure if that's because I don't care or just because I didn't think about it before now. <laughs> like everyone asks people, like it's really, really common and I understand why people do it. But for me, like as, as a, as a designer, I try to avoid that kind of influence and I try never to, you know, mimic or, you know, aspire to be like another designer. And as a journalist, 
whenever I interview people, I try, I try really hard to like only ask about like what media and stuff people might like and like do yeah, research I've from. Def- I've definitely not be like, if- what designer do you want to be like? No, I've definitely <laughs> asked like what content has inspired something. Yeah, because and that's, that's important. It's very, very true to my own experience. If I want to design something, I will consume a bunch of stuff. Like some friends wanted me to. I, I wanted to run the Edge of the Empire for some friends, so I just watched like all of Clone Wars in a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I think that content influence is like really important, and that also actually can sometimes tell me if I don't want to play somebody's game. Mm. You know. Like, if somebody thought of, you know, if they designed their game entirely on, you know, the narrative choices of something like Kill Bill, I'd be like, no, Mm. no, thank you. But that's just a personal preference, right? And that's why I ask that question when I do interviews, because, like, it helps inform my my readers what they actually want to absorb, you know? I I often get nervous when I see um, Game of Thrones listed as... Oh, God, yeah. Uh, there was there was a there was a Powered by the Apocalypse game recently the the Crown the something and the Unspeakable Power yeah uh, uh, the game. the Crown and the Unspeakable Power I think I I interviewed about that oh cool wonderful yeah I I'm I'm, I'm into the game but when I was first reading it on Kickstarter it's like Game of Thrones I'm like ooh I don't know yep yep and then I and then I read the playbooks and I'm like ooh but but <laughs> And the and that's why asking that content question is like super, super a thing. Yeah, because <laughs> you could get a sense of like the tone that they're going for. It's it actually kind of kills me with turn though, um, mm. hilariously enough, because I don't have a media reference for turn, mm. and that I was like, I can't actually describe it to you using media. I didn't really absorb any particular media to. It's based on like my life kind of thing, like so. Uh, that's a that's always a tricky one. Is whenever you finally come to that point where they're like, "Oh, I didn't really watch anything. I just made the thing." Yeah. So <laughs> mm, interesting. So I do have uh, a cool question from uh, some of our listeners. They mm-hmm. uh, they were helping me research for this interview, and they saw that you had a bunch of interviews with indie projects um, and such on your website. Um, I think they talked about both projects you've worked on and also projects that you just interviewed people about. Uh, And they were interested in hearing what were some of the most, and this is kind of broad, but what were some of the most positive outcomes that came from those interviews uh, that you have conducted, I guess. So I guess we could change this into, I guess if I was to give this focus, what kind of... Um, what kind of things have you changed, I guess, or what kind of things have, has interviewing brought to your own process, uh, or your own life, um, that you didn't expect? I guess that seems a little bit more focused, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's see. I've been, so I've been doing interviews, for a while, I, I'm up to I think around two hundred wow. uh, interviews on Thought. Like fourteen. <laughs> it's a lot of um, it's a lot of time. Um, 
I've refined processes in how I email people, um, the way I des- like design my interviews. I've made standardized questions for some things. Yeah. Um, I also like, I think some of it is it's made me think of how I want to be and how I don't want to be whenever it comes to being a designer in public. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm a super public person and, um, it has always been very challenging for me because I don't actually get interviewed a lot. So I don't know how the interviewee feels about the things that I ask them. So all of the ways that I am in interviews is based on like my imagination of, you know, how people experience these interviews. Um, I learned that I don't like being the interviewer for live interviews as much because I have focus issues and anxiety issues. Mm -hmm. I have actually pretty severe anxiety. Um, and I also learned that um, I don't like to edit people's words for their interviews, uh, which I've actually gotten some some attitude from people about that um, because, you know, it's not a creative interview. It's you're just regurgitating their words, copy pasting, mm-hmm. which is fine, because to me, one of the biggest things that would ruin my experience being interviewed as like a designer is having somebody make my response seem like it's not what I meant, you know, that's always a fear I have that I'll be taken out of context or something like that. And um, knowing how much like some of the designers that I've interviewed have appreciated just their words strictly being there um, was it, it impacted me and made a difference to me. Um, and I also, I think one of my biggest marks of pride is that people have emailed me back after an interview and been like, this actually made me think about my actual design process and made me question things that I'm doing in this game and made me want to do better and made me want to like, you know, think harder about what I'm doing. And I learned that like, wow, I didn't know that's a trend in my design. Wow. I didn't know that's how I felt about things. And um, I think it's the power of questions, just like asking people the right way, the right thing can change so much. Yeah. That's what, that's, that's very interesting. It's an interesting hearing um, that response too, because definitely for me, as I've been doing more and more of these interviews, it's been very much about I'm own like my goal here is to give, and we did talk about it earlier. My goal here is to give people an opportunity to talk about their games and what they're doing, yeah. because especially um, uh, because so often the people I'm interviewing don't have an opportunity to talk about their project yep. or they're only really talking about it with their close designer friends. Um, mm-hmm. So giving them a way to talk about that and feel more confident about their game but also feel more confident about talking about their game because yeah. like, I've never had to try and put this into <laughs> I've never tried to market before <laughs> live. Oh yeah. It's so hard. It, it I still have not learned how to do it. Honestly. Oh. I still don't know how to tell people what my podcast is about <laughs> when they ask me. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like, part of the point of Thoughty is to give a platform to designers, marginalized and otherwise, um, to talk about the projects that they're trying to promote and stuff like that. I've, I've even done player features where I interviewed players for a whole, like, two-month period wow. instead of um, designers. And that was so fun. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. Well, I mean, without players, what's the point of games? Yeah, for sure. No, I see it. I'm there. I'm on the trolley. 
wonderful. Um, I'm wondering, I did want to talk to you a little bit about, um, you mentioned that you had made uh, a safety tool. Script um, change. Script change, script change. Um, uh, I don't think, unfortunately, we will have too much time to go into detail about that, but could you give us a pitch on what script change is for those that haven't heard of it? Absolutely. Um, so script change is a, a content and safety toolbox. Um, there are multiple tools inside the product itself um, that you use to handle content, tone, safety issues, and general game comfort um, and enjoyment. Uh, there's the three basic tools are fast forward, rewind, and pause. You use fast forward as a either card tap or say aloud to fade to black. You use a rewind to skip back and redo scenes. And you use pause to have breaks. And that can be to clarify things, to get away from the table, any sort of thing like that. Um, and there's also uh, something called frame by frame, which is to take a scene really slow if it's something you're nervous about or not sure you're okay with, so that you have ample time to use the other tools without risking you know, feeling abrupt or uncomfortable. Um, and it also includes stuff like wrap meetings, which are like debriefs. And um, it's a it's basically a means to ensure that the game that you're playing is the best game that you can make it without causing any discomfort or causing anyone to feel pressured. Mm, yeah, definitely sounds like worth a read, especially considering um, I'd be very interested uh, if our listeners could give that a read. Uh, seeing as we're currently trying to, uh, or at least I currently hope you're trying to, because I asked you to help me, uh, mm -hmm. brainstorm ideas about how we can include better safety tools uh, for our listeners in our games. In particular, we're currently interested in um, the main safety tool we're currently trying to implicate, Im <laughs> implement uh, is just giving our listeners explicit permission to stop listening. Um, if something is making them uncomfortable, uh, and either return to it or move, or or you know skip it, um, just because I know that with the X card rule, uh, having having that permission to not to be able to do a thing was more powerful than being able to do the thing. Um, like once mm -hmm. we introduced the X card to our Blades in the Dark game, we then didn't use it. Um, yeah, I think with safety tools, it's really complicated because sometimes introducing the safety tool makes you more willing to push your boundaries, which is great. I actually wrote an article about that ages ago um, called Finding My O with the X card, where um, I felt more able to push my boundaries knowing that there was a safety tool at the table. But they also can, if you don't engage with them, become superfluous. Um, so one of the... If you actually are looking for a couple of examples of safety tools, if you go to the Big Bad Con um, website, uh, the Big Bad Con event website, they have a safety mechanics page, like a, a tools page mm -hmm. um, that lists, I think, a couple of them there. I think four or five different tools. Um, I'll actually be attending as a guest at Big Bad Con um, at the end of this year. And um, they use script change as one of their options, which is how I know about it. Um, and the, the there's X card lines and veils, um, and there's script change, and there's also some others uh, out there obscure for use. I like script change. The reason why I designed it is because it's really flexible, and you can use it in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, sometimes layering them is useful, 
but sometimes it's just finding the right one for your group. Like they're not one size fits all. Yeah. Indeed. Um, you have to find the, the tool that will be useful for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, wonderful. Thank you for telling us a little bit about those uh, safety tools as well. Um, that is a thing that we're currently interested in. Um, unfortunately, I can't keep you all evening or all morning <laughs> in my own case. Um, so uh, I would love you to tell our listeners where they can find more things from you. Um, if they wanted to follow along your projects, um, or find out more about what you're doing. Um, obviously, you've given shout-outs about, about those sorts of things throughout the interview, but still, this is an opportunity to, like, summarize. Um, so, yeah. Sure. Um, so, my main website is breecs.com. That's B-R-I-E-C-S.com. And I have a Patreon that supports that site where I do all my interviews and post free games and stuff like that, which is patreon.com slash breecs. And um, I'm on Twitter at BreeCS. And um, I also have a web show teaching leadership through games um, that's called Leading with Class. That you can find through patreon.com slash leading with class. And uh, I have a Kickstarter, which you can find by looking up Behind the Mask. That's mask with a C. Um, zine on Kickstarter. And um, I'm also on Google Plus a fair bit um, under Bree Sheldon. And um, I'm around the internet a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, but if if you uh, need to reach me, you can get to the contact page on my website. Uh, the email is there. Um, I'm always happy to talk about my games. Uh, if you go to uh, brecs.itch.io, there is uh, downloads for some of my games, um, including script change in a printable format. Um, so hopefully that those are all useful and um, convenient links and contacts for you. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for uh, coming on. And uh, if anyone's looking for those, uh, for links to those, there should be links in the description on the WordPress um, site, the main Insert Quest here website, um, just because SoundCloud does, and iTunes don't really like hyperlinks in the descriptions. Uh, <laughs> so those links will be on the main website page. Um, if you are looking for more convenient access to them, um, as much as the, of them as we can provide. Uh, we'll be there. Uh, thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure to uh, chat with you. Um, and the interview was very different to what I expected it to be. I'm, I'm hoping that's a good thing. It thank you so much for having me. Thing. I love an interview where I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about games journalism. I didn't even know that was on the cards. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in and uh, and joining us for this episode. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it, and if you did, why don't you let us know? If you have any questions for Bree or myself, um, or any feedback or thoughts, please share them down below. Um, we're always uh, excited to have a conversation with y'all. Uh, but for now, uh, farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>